0: a story topic or have any other inquiries please email submit at skebanewsnation.com also you can email jeremiah Skiba personally at jeremiah at skebanewsnation.com also email jake personally at jake at skebanewsnation.com if you want to write us a letter send us something help support us or just say hi Please send your letter to Jeremiah Skiba, P.O. Box 560271, The Colony, Texas, 75056. If you write us a letter, I'll do my best to write you back. Hey Skiba News Nation family, thank you for watching. Please like, share, subscribe, and click that notification bell so you never miss an episode of Skiba News Nation. If you want to help support us, please consider becoming a Patreon, where you will get exclusive content, shout-outs, and much more you can also support our channel by getting yourself some new Skiba News Nation merch. Thank you for coming on this journey with us as we continue to stay on the quest for truth. Huge shout out to all our Patreon supporters. Thank you so much for your support. We couldn't do this show without you. If you want to help support us, go to patreon.com forward slash Nation. Also, you can listen to Skiba News Nation podcast on your favorite podcast platform.
1: what it costs.
2: I want to know what the truth is. And I hope that people, my son, anybody, if my name comes up, whether you like me, whether you agree with me or not, at least you can respect the fact that he's on a quest for truth. He's on a quest for truth.
3: Welcome to Skiba News Nation bringing you unfiltered views, news, interviews, discussions, and more. And now, here's your host, Jeremiah Skiba, award-winning musician and son of Rob Skiba.
0: Hey, Skiba News Nation family, welcome to episode 68 of Skiba News Nation, your weekly source of the latest news, controversial topics, conspiracies, forgotten history, and so much more. I'm your host, Jeremiah Skiba, and today we're going to be talking about that one time George W. Bush slipped up, Israel's 9-11, Iran raised the flag of the Islamic Messiah, the Illuminati's illusion, Pfizer admits the V causes microcarditis, did Matthew Perry die from the V? An all-new Opa's Corner, and for history, we'll be covering part one of why JFK had to be assassinated, and who truly killed Kennedy, memes and much more, so subscribe and stay tuned. Now as always, I'd like to introduce my great and insightful co-host, Mr. Jake Grant. Welcome, Jake. How you doing? Doing pretty good, Jeremiah. How are you? Good, good. Opa, how are you?
3: Rangers! Rangers!
0: yeah let's go Rangers we're one game out right now as the recording of this Wednesday uh, three and one so we just need to win one more so hopefully we do it and they don't break my heart again so that's how we're doing very stressed here in the DFW area But yeah man you ready to dive right in
1: yeah all right let's get into it let's do it man Well, uh, I hope you guys get your team win. You know, I you know it'll help boost your uh, your city's pride or whatever, like your your confidence of your favorite sports team. You know.
0: Well, we never uh, won.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. And uh, well, I thought it was 2011 was the last time.
0: We've been there two times, but this will be the never. Let me knock on wood. It'll be the first time we win a World Series championship. They broke my heart in two thousand eleven. They broke uh, my heart in two thousand. What was it, Opa? The year? Well, before? No. <clears throat>
3: they they played in two thousand ten. They were one out away from winning the World Series. Fly ball to right field, didn't catch it.
0: We won't mention the name.
3: Yeah, we and don't then, say the name. And then in two thousand eleven, <laughs> we were almost there. We had the lead. In Game Six, and blew it. Blew
0: it. But we do have the manager of one of the teams that beat us, so that's good. He's a really good manager.
3: Yeah, he's won uh, four World Series already.
0: And I hope he comes on this show. So Bruce Bochy. Hope I'm saying that right. Please come on, Stephen. Yep. nation
3: And I may have said four. He may have only won three,
0: but he's going to win four. Yeah, let's go, Rangers. <laughs>
1: All right. (laughs) Uh, Well, uh, I guess we should get into it. Uh, uh, Here's a picture of the TV uh, telling its person to obey it, right? Sit. I told you no reading or thinking for yourself. (laughs) And, uh, you know, with uh, how media is used to kind of keep us in line, uh, understanding that this is a powerful tool that is being used in your household against you. And the way you think is very, very important. Um, uh, People who are fully immersed in Babylon do not know it and cannot see it. When a conduct is normalized by a dominant cultural environment, it becomes invisible. And you are immersed in deception unaware of its existence. And we have warning in Revelation. Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins and that you not partake of her plagues. And uh, why is this important? Most people... Never take a stand when things get tough because they've spent their whole lives being told to just sit down and shut up. Uh, so we're going to be talking about some, you know, pretty pressing topics, uh, some bombshell truths being shared, and uh, some uh, a time that George Bush accidentally slipped up. Uh, but some of the things that we can point to that uh, we're being told to sit down and shut up about are trusting the science sample. I do trust the science, but coercion is not science. Censorship is not science. Faked data is not science. Manipulating results is not science. Cherry-picking studies is not science. Fear-mongering is not science. And uh, we had a recent Friends star passed away in his, uh, his uh, big hot tub. And some people are theorizing that it could be uh, because he participated and pushed a very particular, uh, medical experiment over the past two years. And, uh, the question is, is, you know, did he suffer <clears throat> myocarditis? And we'll have videos that show how Pfizer's actually coming out and admitting that. And, and that's some things that could cause the, the, the loss of this friend's superstar, right? Was, uh, heart issues. Um, so, no one loves a warrior until the enemy is at the gate. And it's the same for the watchman Somebody uh, trumpeting truth or somebody warning others of deception. Nobody likes being woken up for from their warm, cozy slumber and being told, hey, the school bus is here, it's time to go. Uh, but, uh, of course, that's kind of the role we have to find ourselves in if we have a love for the truth. Uh, Because, you know, as it says in the scriptures, if uh, uh, the watchman sees the enemy coming and doesn't rouse his people, then the blood of the people is on the watchman's head. Um, But if the watchman tries to wake everyone up and nobody pays heed, then their blood's on their own head, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's why, you know, nobody loves a warrior until the enemy's at the gate. Uh, And it's the same for being a watchman. All right, so that brings us to the first interesting video, that one time when George W. Bush accidentally uh, told us what's happening in the Middle East here in 2023.
0: A lot of our allies in Europe do a lot of business with Iran, so I wonder what your thoughts are about how you further tighten the financial pressure on Iran in particular, if it also means economic pain for a lot of our allies.
4: Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, One of the problems not specifically on this issue, just in general, that, uh, that um, uh, let's put it this way, money trumps um, peace sometimes. <laughs> in other yeah. words, commercial interests are very powerful interests throughout the world.
5: Ukrainians now, we think, have lost 400,000 men killed.
4: And part of the issue in convincing people to put sanctions on a specific country is to convince them that it's in the world's interest that they forego their own financial interest. And um, John, that's why sometimes it's tough to get uh, tough economic sanctions on countries. And I'm not making any comment about any particular country, but you you touched on a very interesting point. Get him. You're free, and freedom is beautiful. And, uh, you know, it'll take time to restore chaos and order, but we we're order out of chaos, but we will. Yeah, John. For the sake of the Palestinians who suffer, for the sake of the Israelis who are under attack, we must stop the terror. I call upon all nations to do everything they can to stop these terrorist killers. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. Now watch this drive. (laughs) There's an old saying in Tennessee, I know it's in Texas, probably in Tennessee, that says, fool me once, shame on, shame on you.
0: One of my favorites.
4: Fool me, we can't get fooled again.
0: (laughs) Oh, what a dumb dumb. that clip of when he goes
1: watch this drive i'm gonna have that seared into my mind for a while (laughs) oh man and i think the clip of him and all the words that george w bush is saying in that uh really echoes with a lot of the lingo that's being used on this attack with hamas and israel and the likening of it to a 9-11 for israel in comparison to the 9-11 that caused the united states to enter into a 20 years long war in the middle east uh, over terror right mm-hmm. so uh very interesting uh, <laughs> um this next clip it's a little bit of a longer video we're not going to watch all of it but uh i saw our friend felix had shared it and i think it's very significant uh colonel mcgregor is sharing some bombshell intel on ukraine and israel uh let's check this out
2: All right, the United
1: States finds
2: itself in a place where we're attempting to support Ukraine and perform this proxy war against Vladimir Putin and Russia. We've got Israel dealing with Hamas and the Gaza invasion. We've also got China watching all of this, waiting to make moves uh, on a global scale. I have a show favorite with me today, Colonel Douglas McGregor. Uh, Thank you, Colonel McGregor, for, for joining us again. Sure. So um, yesterday, an airplane with uh, Israeli citizens arrived in Russia. Uh, The tarmac was infiltrated and swarmed with uh, what I can only describe as Arab immigrants within Russia, chanting Allah Akbar as they uh, admitted that they were there to hunt down and kill Jews. Uh, Russia's uh, air, airport police and, and regular police uh, had to make arrests and get the group under control. Um, what, what are your thoughts on stories like this? Is this a Hamas uh, group within Russia or just an anti-Israel group? Uh, and are you worried about um, how many Arabs have been driven out of the Middle East into Europe that could wake up and, and suddenly make attacks on the very towns that they are now residing in.
5: Well, let's start with the first part of this. The story that you just recited is false. Okay. Uh, the Russians told me and I, I contacted my Russian sources that that plane did not have any Israelis on it. In fact, the, the only person that got off that uh, anybody looked at strangely was an Uzbek and what you had was not an arab group by any means at all these are simply turkic people who live in dagestan okay americans know nothing about the region as usual and you have various different types uh, dagestanis uh, chechens there are, there are a whole range of tribes that have become nations over the years uh, they they are turks or turkic depending upon which definition you want to use everybody effectively between uh the border with uh, mongolia's border with kazakhstan all the way to turkey speaks effectively the same language and we call those people tatars uh, turkic any number of different things the one exception of course of the tajiks they speak a version of persian uh, in other words indistinguishable from modern farsi but everybody else speaks turkic that means that the people living in the Caucasus and Central Asia can all read and listen to Mr. Erdogan. Mm -hmm. That's very important because Mr. Erdogan sees himself as the de facto leader of Sunni Islam and also prides himself on being the leading voice for Turkic or Turkish people and culture in the world. This is one of the reasons that the Russians have managed the 40 million or so muslim turks and tartars in their country very carefully uh russia normally has no difficulty whatsoever with this but i suspect that they've been listening to mr erdogan and uh, they went there enraged at what is happening in gaza and they're not they're not unique and i would not confuse the rage at what the israelis are doing in gaza with anti-semitism it's in the interest of Israelis to st- uh, brand everything as anti-Semitism, but there are many places in the world where Jews are completely safe, and I would include most of Central Asia in that uh, category. Uh, no one objects to Jews, but there are lots of objections to things the Israelis do. So that's another distinction that we don't bother to make in the press. And if you turn on the mainstream, nobody keeps you informed about anything.
2: Yeah, okay. So you think that that was a false, like, feeder story through Western media?
5: Uh, I doubt it. I think it's just that these people have been following things through Russian media as well as uh, Turkish media. As I said, if you listen to Mr. Erdogan's speeches, they're very, very inflammatory. They're very nationalistic, but nationalistic in a way that we would regard as internationalist because he's speaking not just to 90 million, 80, 90 million Turks in Anatolia, He's speaking to another 100 million plus in Central Asia. And we need to understand that. Mr. Putin does, and that's why he manages his relations with Mr. Erdogan very carefully.
2: Yeah, yeah. well, I know uh, many felt that uh, Erdogan had betrayed his NATO roots uh, in order to reestablish a pipeline from Russia through Turkey because Turkey's Lear was collapsing due to inflation. I think it had lost 80% of its value. And, and so they're just trying to get their society and their country back up and running. Of course, the Western media is saying, Erdogan has betrayed NATO. We should you know, stop all military weapons sales to Turkey. Um, but he, he's, he's playing two different worlds, it seems.
5: NATO is a paper alliance. Let's not impute too much significance to it. It has too many members. It's totally ineffective and dysfunctional. The reason that Turkey was in NATO was because Greece was in NATO, and this was our effort after the Second World War to stop the outbreak of future wars in the Eastern Mediterranean. So we thought if we brought the Greeks and the Turks in, that would make it difficult for them to do that. The other reason was uh, the Turks were always anti-communist. Kemal Ataturk was very anti-communist. And uh, he he was actually very pro-German and pro-Italian. In other words, we would say pro-fascist or pro-Nazi, but he was always an anti-communist. And so we had good relations with the Turks. If Hitler had managed his own defunct grand strategy a little bit better, he might have had the Turks for allies in the Second World War. And even now, the Turks and the Germans, although they have their disagreements on, on issues, tend to like each other a great deal that's not necessarily the case with the russians and so mr erdogan uh, and mr putin have struggled as well because ultimately turkey is not european it's external to europe it is a muslim state it is a turkish muslim state it is a sunni muslim state those are its roots it has no roots in europe or or uh, nato that's absurd so if anything We are seeing much of the world return to normalcy. Who are the two major powers in the Middle East over the last 5,000 years? Persia, and and certainly then after Persia, I would say Turkey for the last thousand. And the Turks have been a dominant force. They came out of Central Asia. Uh, They survived the Mongolian invasions. These are very powerful figures, powerful people, powerful culture. And they are Muslims. They're not all radical Muslims by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, uh, Turkish Islam was on the whole fairly moderate compared with the Arabs. But we're dealing with a different set of circumstances because what's happening in Gaza is enraging the entire Muslim world. This is not just another war in the Middle East between Israel, Egypt, Syria, or southern Lebanon. This is a very different animal. This is a civilizational confrontation now. And that is due largely to Mr. Netanyahu and his government that has tried to transform this into a much larger fight.
2: Alexander Lukashenko from uh, Belarus is calling for this war to come to an end. He said this is going to be a long, drawn-out stalemate that will only result in more people dying do you think that uh, there's any truth to what he's encouraging or, uh, of course, the media is saying Lukashenko has finally flipped on Putin, but we, you and I both know that's not true.
5: No, oh, Lukashenko is expressing a view that's widely held, I think, everywhere in Eastern Europe, but especially Russia and, and Belarus. First of all, he's only got 8 million people in his country. Belarus is remarkably small. But Lukashenko knows that the Ukrainians are dying by the bushel. We think that 50% of Ukraine's population has fled the country, is under Russian control now, or dead. People tell me that a half a million Ukrainians have died. Now, during World War I, and we fought for 110 days during World War I, we sustained 318,000 casualties, and 110,000 Americans were killed. Literally, 1,000 died for every day that we fought in France. That's stunning, isn't it? Well, run the numbers. How long has Ukraine been at war with Russia? Started in February. We're still short of the two year mark. So if we say, you know, if we say, uh, uh, what is it, Uh, 21 months or 20 months of warfare, a half a billion Ukrainians are dead. We're talking Ukrainian soldiers. So I'm not talking about civilians. And perhaps that many or more wounded horribly wounded we're talking about an army that is falling apart where if you want to be evacuated by an ambulance to a reputable hospital you have to bribe the ambulance driver and the people on the ambulance to take you there from the battlefield Uh, you have soldiers that are kept in small groups of no more than three or four together and then sent in as replacements because they're afraid if they try to replace platoons and companies They'll end up with a rebellion against the Ukrainian government. Uh, This war is over, but we won't let it die because the regime in Washington wants to maintain the fiction that there is something good happening in Kiev. There isn't. There's nothing there but corruption and criminality. That's the truth. Ukrainians are dying for nothing, pointlessly, in a war that should never have been fought. That's the truth. We don't want to accept that in Washington. We have this notion, we, we have all sorts of false notions, that uh, Russia is something very different from what it is and Ukraine is something very different from what it is. Only a few people in Europe are, are willing to stand up and tell us the truth. But I think that too is changing. If you look at recent elections in Slovakia, I think uh, there's a turn also in Poland that's begun that's, that's going to become more and more powerful. I think you're going to see in Germany a a hard swing to the right, along with most of Scandinavia. Everyone is sick of this left of center suicidal leadership. And I hope at some point that Americans will wake up and figure out that's what we're dealing with, too. So I, I would right now pay very little attention to anything that comes to the Western media. You're not going to get the truth that way. At least not until governments in Europe change and not until the one here changes.
2: Yeah, okay. Uh, Secretary of uh, Treasury Janet Yellen says that the United States is prepared and able to fund two wars at the same time. Is this true? Is this bluffing? Uh, Is she really just saying that Congress will do what Congress does and print more fake money?
5: Yes, yes. I think that's the first impulse, but if you look at the uh, US Treasuries, the last treasury uh, market uh, gathering, where we tried to sell bonds, failed miserably. Nobody wants to buy our bonds. Now the Fed for a very long time has walked in and bought up bonds, but they can't really do that much longer, and they know that. You've also flooded the market with cash. And how much longer can you keep that up? I mean, these are all the questions that competent uh, financial analysts like Alastair MacLeod in London and I think uh, uh, Mohammed El-Aryan, they, they're all trying to answer these questions. They all know that we are staring into the financial abyss. So the notion that we could continue to finance two total wars, which is really what it boils down to, is absurd. It's It's nonsensical. But I think that this government has chosen implosion and and destruction over embracing the truth and becoming rational. Any rational man would say, wait a minute, we can't do this. A rational man would pick up the phone and say, look, Bibi, you can't do what you're doing. We can't afford it. We're not gonna support it. Uh, the same thing is true in Kiev. Make peace or get out. It's over. We can't afford it. That's where we're headed. Nobody wants to do that.
2: Yeah, okay. Um, speaking of uh, Israel and Netanyahu, uh, the IDF and Israel announced that their ground invasion will be much slower than <clears throat> was originally uh, proposed. I don't know if um, emotions are starting to cool or uh, it, it, they're just realizing Hamas is dug in deeper than they expected. Is, is going slow the right move? Because it seems like the world was pretty much gearing up to be against Israel, even though Israel was attacked, because they see Palestine as this uh, small, uh, landlocked country with no ability to defend itself. And it's, you know, 50% of its population are children.
5: Uh, Bear with me. In 1227, an English army was sent to Scotland by Edward I the army met a scottish force in the vicinity of a place called stirling bridge ultimately the english army was destroyed was defeated it wasn't simply defeated the scots then proceeded to murder everybody in the organization very few people managed to get back to the border with england and escape with their lives The the hero of Scottish history, Sir William Wallace, got a hold of the commanders, the two, two leading knights who commanded the army, skinned them alive, killed them, but then skinned them alive before he did it, and then had belts that he wore for the rest of his life made from their hides. Now, why? Because Scotland and Scots had been subjected in the previous hundred years to horrific treatment by invading English forces. So they exploded with rage and anger, and the violence was outrageous, unbelievable. Today we look at that and we're just shocked. How could you make a man your national hero that skins people alive and makes belts out of their hide? Well, let's fast forward to Israel. There is so much blood in the sand in that part of the world involving the palestinian arabs and arabs in general muslims and the jews who live in israel that we can't begin to, to line it up and explain it what you witnessed on the 7th of october was horrific barbarous and savage and if i were an israeli i would react exactly as they have but it shouldn't come as a surprise because the people living in gaza have been living in what some people Term the largest open air concentration camp in the world now some of that is their fault and some of it is the fault frankly of the israelis and also of the arab states in the region because you have arab states in the region with enormous quantities of money who could have always intervened to help the people in gaza and find a way out even if it meant relocating them but the arab states in the region didn't want to do that they didn't want any of these people in their country And they saw value in maintaining the Palestinian Arab in a terrible position because it represented a permanent threat and irritant to the Israelis. Now, the Israelis, in the meantime, could they have done things differently? Well, of course. But we don't know the whole story. We can't recount everything here. My point is that this is not something that suddenly happened that was never going to happen. This was inevitable. The circumstances changed, and it happened. The question is, what are you going to do about it? And the Israelis have decided that it's time for the people in Gaza to go away. This is not an exercise in counterinsurgency. The Israelis are not clearing and holding something. They are expelling or killing and then permanently removing whatever they find. And their view is, if you're there with Hamas, if you're in the vicinity of Hamas, you're an enemy you're a combatant you deserve to die now we in the united states as a general rule do not support collective punishment which is what we're talking about Uh, we find that unacceptable violating the so-called laws of war and humanity but that's what's happening and the israelis as a result have provoked the entire muslim world (laughs) I told a friend of mine, who actually, we've known each other for years. He's also an Israeli citizen. And uh, he pointed out, he said, Douglas, we have managed something no one else in history has done. We have united the Sunni and the Shia. Well, he's right. He's right. That's the problem. (laughs) And never before have the the Israelis had to face in direct combat uh, Turks, Persians, And arabs all together that's where we're headed that's why i wrote the piece i did in the american conservative called avoiding armageddon if something isn't done and the israelis go into gaza and continue these operations not only will they face hezbollah on the northern front they're going to face the rest of the region egypt jordan they have no interest in going to war but they will have to do it they will have to fight because these are Muslims, and they will be accused of heinous crimes if they stand by and watch their fellow Muslims be slaughtered. The same thing is true in Turkey with Mr. Erdogan. I'm sure you saw the 1.5 million people show up in Istanbul to cheer uh, Mr. Erdogan, who called uh, you know, the Israeli state a, a war criminal state. Uh, people are genuinely enraged. This includes people that don't necessarily like Erdogan just as many Israelis are now supporting Netanyahu who don't really like Netanyahu because they see no alternative to this. Now, here's here's the wild card. The wild card is us. And the Israelis have worked tirelessly to cultivate control of our government. Our government is signed up to support Israel unconditionally, which means we are being pulled into a major regional war. We are going to be pitted against the Turks The Iranians, all the Sunni Arab states in the region, probably states in North Africa. This will probably have an impact on the Muslims in India and certainly Pakistan. I would be surprised if it didn't also have an impact on us in Malaysia and Indonesia. And what I continue to ask people is, what makes you think Israel will survive this? That's my concern. I support Israel. I've always supported its right to exist. I think Israel should exist. I don't want to see it destroyed. But they are in a position right now where they have created an alliance against them that even with our help and assistance may not work. In other words, they may not survive. They may not prevail. I think that would be a tragedy. So it's why I have said repeatedly, we have to save Israel from itself. We understand the anger and the emotion, but we have no leadership and we have no strategy if someone were more rational in washington they would look at this and say we've got to put the brakes on or israel will be lost and what we don't understand is that in 1973 which is the last major conflict the israelis fought with egypt and syria that part of the world was very different today these countries contain millions hundreds of millions of people who are much better educated than they were in 1973 who have better technology, particularly technology involving media, information exchange, unmanned systems, robotics. I, I get down an endless list. If you look at Iran, it has a brilliant air and space program. Fine engineers that have done marvelous things with very little to build some of the best uh, theater ballistic missiles in the world. Not even I haven't even mentioned the unmanned systems in the form of the various drones. The Turks are similar. Only the Turks have a long martial history. They're the most militant state in the region, one of the most militant populations in the world. Anyone who has dealt with the Turks knows this. Fighting the Turks is a fight to the finish. If they become involved, and I think they will if this continues, I don't see how the Israelis survive it. And I I know they have nuclear weapons, but people forget... The Pakistanis have made it very clear that the Turks will be given nuclear warheads if they need it primarily for the purpose of deterring Israel. Now, if that happens and the Israelis decide to use a nuclear weapon, we can only begin to imagine the the consequences. And I would prefer that they didn't, but they have it. And they've always reserved the right to use it if they see fit. Where does this leave us? You know, on the one hand, we want to support Israel. But do you help a man that you love and care for commit suicide? I wouldn't.
6: Yeah.
5: I wouldn't allow a good friend to commit suicide. And I, I, if I were in power, I would not allow Netanyahu to lead this country on the path to suicide. And that's where All right, I think that's they're good, yes. and it would be. All right, so
1: were there any points that stood out to you in that breakdown? I mean, he was really kind of balancing the united states role in these two fronts uh one in ukraine one in israel and uh and it was really interesting some of the things he was pointing out what do you think jeremiah
0: well i think that he didn't really talk about us as a country i mean don't we need to look at our own issues before we get into other countries issues i mean that kind of stood out to me
1: yeah i think that's a good point i I mean we are so invested in these world alliances that we are funneling billions and billions of dollars into Ukraine uh, now to Israel. And it really begs the question uh, how many of these nations that were funneling support and weapons to would support us if the tables were turned, so to Mm -hmm. speak. Um, But I think it was very significant. The things he was talking about of how Israel is unifying uh, the Muslim world against them because of the Palestinian plight and that is very significant uh, Erdogan who's in Turkey there uh, I've heard some pretty interesting uh, breakdowns on how he could be a possible like in times antichrist figure um, and I wanted to show you Uh, this funny picture uh Erdogan could be a relative of Hitler. <laughs> Check this one out. Uh this is a side-by-side shot of both of their faces. It could be. Uh he looks like a a relative or like at least a close look alike. I mean this is Erdogan and uh Hitler uh on the left. <laughs> I mean man, I could wish you would have brought this up relative. next
0: week. Next week, I'm going to be talking about how Hitler escaped uh, Germany. Oh, I
1: believe it, man. I'm I'm really excited to hear your breakdown of that one. Um, But anyways, so we have the whole uh, Islamic world uh, surrounding Israel, uh, and they're unifying. And here's a warning. Saudi Arabia warns U.S. Israeli invasion of Gaza could be catastrophic. Well, guess what? Just recently... Iran has raised a black Mahdi flag for the first time in history. Uh, we're going to watch this video about this. But uh, last week, Iran raised a black Mahdi flag for the first time. Uh, this is the flag of their Islamic Messiah, the Mahdi, the 12th Imam. It's a flag that their scriptures say will be carried to Jerusalem in victory. It is a sign that the Mahdi is about to be revealed. Uh, what will be the impact on the rest of the world? What does our Bible say about what happens after this man's revealed? Check out this interesting clip breaking down the significance of the Islamic Messiah.
7: One of Iran's biggest mosques, the Imam Reza shrine raised a black flag this week, outside of the traditional month for the first time in Iran's history. This is the black Mahdi flag, the flag of their Islamic Messiah, the 12th Imam. It's the flag that their scriptures, the Hadiths say, will be carried into Jerusalem in victory. Is this a sign that their Islamic Messiah is about to be revealed? If so, it's a sign that Iran is all in on this Middle East conflict we're in. And if so, it's a sign to us Christians that the 70th week of Daniel, where some call it the tribulation is about to begin. Jesus warned us that false messiahs and false prophets would arise And an Islamic Messiah, the Mahdi, would certainly qualify. And it's also a sign that one of the central prophecies about the coming of the Antichrist is about to be fulfilled. This is Bible teacher, Nelson Walters, and we have a lot to unpack in this episode. The appearance of a false Messiah, perhaps one performing miracles under the influence of Satan, is a major sign of the end times, one all Christians should be watching for intently. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Today, we're going to look at what the Shia Muslims believe about the Mahdi and the black flags and how this may affect how they are going to react in the near future. We're also going to look at what scriptures say about these things, our scriptures, because our scriptures are inerrant. They're always right. And these scriptures are going to give us a picture, perhaps, of what is going to happen in the current Middle East conflict that's going on right now. And I know you really want to see that. But first, a shout out to our community member, Jason Lawrence, who helped us research this video. So what is it about this black flag? The black flag in Islamic tradition holds a dynamic significance that marks their end times. Here is what their Hadith or scripture says about it. When the black flags come from Khorasan, which is a province in Iran, Central Asia, that kind of area, go to them. Even if you have to crawl on snow, among them is the Caliph of Allah, the Mahdi. So the black flag is a sign to those in Shia Islam that the Mahdi or 12th Imam is about to be revealed. And they have a destination. Here is another hadith. Surely black flags will appear from the Khorasan until the people, under the leadership of this flag, will tie their horses with the olive trees between the Bataleya and the Harishta, which are the names of places in Jerusalem. So flying this flag is a sign to the Muslim world that their destination is the conquering of Jerusalem. In the current Middle East conflict, it's an encouragement to Iran's proxy governments in the Gaza Strip and Lebanon of what they're fighting for. These black flags are specific. They're black banners they carry white lettering, which is their Shahada, which in Arabic means the testimony. It's an Islamic oath and creed. Its meaning is on the screen. Those converting to Islam We are going to say this. So this isn't a national flag. Like an Iranian flag, those who carry this black mod are carrying the flag of their Islamic Messiah, of their religion. So raising this flag is a sign to Iran's proxies to encourage them in what lies ahead for them in the Middle East. In Shia Islam, which is the branch of Islam that Iran follows, this takes a little bit different bent. This is what their Shahada says. And I'm intentionally not saying these words because I don't even want them coming out of my mouth. But notice, they've added another person to this, someone that the other branches of Islam don't favor, Ali. And this may lead to conflict between factions of Islam and more on this in just a little bit. Also notice the first part of the Shahada, there is no deity, but Allah is very, very similar to what the Antichrist says when he takes his seat in the temple of God. Paul wrote about this in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 through 4, 600 years before Islam was founded. The man of lawlessness is revealed the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship. See, that's just like the Shahada. So that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. So someday, the Antichrist himself will say something very similar to the Shahada, except he's going to say that he's the one who's God. He himself is God. So who's this 12th Imam guy that the Muslims are waiting for? He is believed by the 12 -er Shia, and they're the ones who are looking for him, to be the last of the 12 Imams and the eschatological Mahdi, who will emerge in the end times to establish peace, justice, and restore what they believe is true Islam. The Shia in Islam believe this 12th Imam was an infant son of their 11th Imam back like in 200 AD and has been kept hidden from the public out of fear that he would be persecuted or maybe even killed. They also claim that he's in a state of occultation. Let me explain that. It means a miraculous prolonging of life while he's in hiding, but they believe he will reappear. Shortly before the day of judgment, when commanded by God, this guy, Almadi, will return to lead the forces of righteousness, their righteousness, against the forces of evil, their evil, in an apocalyptic war that would ultimately establish what the Twelvers believe is true Islam, which means what the Iranians are believing, the Shia. There's another branch of Islam, the Sunni Muslims, you know, from Egypt, Turkey. They also believe in a Mahdi, but they differ with the Shia on his lineage, where he's from. They don't believe he'll be from the 11th Imam. So you can just imagine if a demonically possessed man emerges and claims to be the Mahdi and says he's either Shia or conversely he's Sunni, the other faction is going to believe he is a false Messiah. And you could see how this could result in a massive conflict between these two factions of Islam. No one wants the other faction to have the true Mahdi. Does the Bible have anything to say about this conflict? I think it does. And this is a huge takeaway from this black flag that was flown this week. In Daniel 8, we learn about a conflict between the ram and the goat. We're told the ram is based out of an area that is modern Iran and has two horns or two kings, two sources of power. Here's what Daniel 8.3 says about it. Now the two horns were long, but one was longer than the other with the longer one coming up last. Iran currently has one supreme leader, the Ayatollah. So this verse is telling us another leader will emerge in Iran in the end times. One who's going to be more powerful eventually And the Ayatollah. Well who could that be? There are a couple theories. One is that it's the Kurds who are the tribes north of Iran, south and east of Turkey. They don't have their own country and exist in parts of Turkey, Iran, Iraq, Syria. To this channel, this interpretation is unlikely as Iran has persecuted the Kurds for generations. It's doubtful they'll ever be allies. And the Kurds are significantly weaker. Remember, the second horn that comes up later is stronger. So it's unlikely the Kurds will control Iran. Other Christian scholars say the second horn might be a general. This is possible, but the Ayatollah represents the religion of Iran. And it's very doubtful that the military are going to supersede the religion in the future. What Iran is fighting, after all, is a religious war. That's why they put up this black flag. A third theory, the one that I prefer, is that the second horn will be the 12th Imam. If he was revealed, he would instantly be considered the leader ahead of the Ayatollah. He would instantly be the leader of all Shia Islam. You must remember the 12th Imam or Mahdi is their Messiah. They feel about him somewhat the way a Christian would feel about Jesus. Imagine how you would feel when Jesus returns and how it would feel to stand alongside him at Armageddon. I mean, that's something every Christian would long to do. Well, the Muslims feel the same way about their Messiah. But also imagine how it would feel if, let's say, for example, the Jehovah's Witnesses reveal a false Jesus and say, he's the real one and has returned. Every Christian would be completely offended by this false Christ. That is exactly how the Sunnis would feel if the Shia reveal the 12th Imam. Every Sunni on the planet would want to prove the Shia Messiah to be false. Does the Bible say anything about this? I think it does. First, it shows Iran acquiring proxies like Gaza, Lebanon, Yemen. I saw the ram budding westward. That would be Gaza and Lebanon, northward Iraq, and southward Yemen, Daniel 8.4. So Iran's proxy network fits into what the Bible says exactly. And notice, it doesn't use a warlike term for how Iran acquired these proxies. It says it headbutted its way to get them. In other words, it butted in to the private countries that are on the outskirts of Israel, and it butted into their affairs and took over these countries, and it also speaks of what the Sunni world's reaction might be should that happen. While I was observing, behold, a male goat was coming from the west over the surface of the whole earth without touching the ground, and the goat had a conspicuous horn between its eyes. He came up to the ram that had the two horns, which I had seen standing in front of a canal, and rushed at him in his mighty wrath. I saw him come beside the ram and he was enraged at him. Daniel 8, five through seven. We're told later in the chapter that the goat is the king of Yavon, an empire centered where Istanbul is on the Basra Straits between Turkey and Greece. Istanbul is the city nearly all Sunni Islamic scholars say should be the capital of a future Sunni caliphate or empire. Does this goat represent a Sunni empire that's going to charge at the ram who is Shia. Well, maybe. Maybe the coming of this 12th Imam is enough to get all the Sunni nations to come together to oppose the 12th Imam. But one thing we know for sure is the goat is really angry at the ram. It said he rushed at him in mighty wrath and was enraged at him. These are very powerful words. Now, right now, The Sunni and Shia seem to have a common opponent, Israel and the USA. But in this passage, the Sunni is angry at the Shia, enraged, actually. I've pondered this passage for years. Why are the Sunnis so enraged that they ignore their Western enemies to come at the Shia? Every Bible prophecy student should ask themselves this same question. Why is this happening? Now, is it an invasion? Well, perhaps some have considered that. Or is it the revealing of his 12th Imam, who the Sunnis feel is a false messiah? To me, I think that's more likely. Again, imagine the rage to expose someone as a false messiah, especially someone from the point of view that you don't accept, the part of your religion that you think is an error. So when I see these black flags, these black muddy flags, to me, it's a sign that this future conflict might be on the horizon, the one the Bible references as a stepping stone to the revealing of the Antichrist. In other words, this struggle between Sunni and Shia has to come, according to the Bible, before the Antichrist. A few verses later, it says, out of one of them came forth a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the beautiful land. Daniel 8, 9. So this conflict between Sunni and Shia has to come, in our opinion, before the Antichrist. And this should give us all a sense of where the current conflict in the Middle East is going. Since Israel is invaded by the Antichrist at the midpoint of a tribulation, and since the Antichrist doesn't arise until after this Sunni-Shia struggle in Daniel 8, Israel should not lose this current war if our analysis is correct. And if Israel doesn't lose, in fact, maybe they win, where does that leave Iran? Kind of desperate maybe, willing to gamble, gamble on claiming a man who's doing miracles in their nation is the 12th of month. Now this is speculation, of course, total speculation, but it's speculation based on scripture, We're putting this video out because we suspect it is only a matter of time when videos like this will be censored and we really want our community to see this because it's one of the most important preliminary steps to the Antichrist. There are actually 12 of these steps if you didn't know that. Click right here to keep watching and discover what the other 11 steps are because most Christians don't know them. Till then, this is Nelson. And I'll see you there.
1: All right. So uh, I thought that was a great breakdown of the significance of this black flag being raised, uh, the the flag of the Mahdi, and how this war with Israel and Gaza could be a unifying factor, bringing all of Islam together. Uh, Now we have this juggling act between the Ayatollah and Iran and uh, Erdogan, uh, who is over Turkey, of course. And then we have kind of all the different factions and Sunni versus Shia Muslims. And the, the like that previous video said, this is the first time Israel has accomplished something nothing else in the world has, bringing Shia and Sunni together, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, all very significant. What were your thoughts, Jeremiah?
0: I mean, personally, it's hard to keep up with because I'm not, you know, I'm dyslexic. So when I see long words, it's kind of hard for me to understand. But... it's the islam it's the islamic messiah flag right that's basically yeah basically okay yes i'm just making sure i understood that right so yeah that's that's uh pretty frightening i would say
1: yeah (laughs) it signifies you know that perhaps this is the cause that they are trying to unify islam against israel um and for the most part you know we see how uh more uh terroristic nation states were operated where they're beheading christians and and non-muslims in the streets uh, but uh with that said let's check out this next video uh which is the illuminati's illusion of a dystopian happiness check this out
8: Satan has done a tremendous job at deceiving humanity into accepting the coming dystopia. And he has done so with having you chase after the pursuit of happiness. Somehow as humanity, we've justified dropping off our children at a public school system for eight to 10 hours out of the day, to justify the pursuit of a better future. The pursuit of happiness. Humanity has forgotten that there's true joy only found in Christ. But people do not want joy. You see, because happiness allows you to fill an in instant gratification. So we go into this dystopia seeking happiness. When David saw Bathsheba out of that rooftop, he was seeking Happiness. When Daniel decided to pray, when the laws were changed and persecution was coming, he was seeking joy that only comes from the Lord. Yet this world offers you a form of happiness and instant gratification. Even when it comes to destroying each other and attacking each other, we see it in the workplace. How envy, strife, competition... All because we want to get ahead and get that extra promotion, get that extra connection, get that extra zero in the bank account because we think it may give us happiness. We see it in Christian ministries. There's no excuse to have 20 churches in the same county, yet we do because every single denomination is in pursuit of what they call truth in their version of happiness but it will never be enough because instead of seeking the joy of the lord because we seek the happiness of this world we will never we will never ever have enough because that's the trick of the dystopia of this world that's why satan tried to offer jesus the kingdoms of this world that's why jesus was intelligent and wise enough because he is god to decline them because we're not from this world and this world will offer you pharmakia and this world will offer you ways to be able to deceive yourself into deceiving and thinking that you are happy But as you can see around this world, it's self-deceived and it's nothing more than an illusion. And Jesus tells you to come out from among her, my people. For if, as an example, a mark was instituted today And it's not necessary a mark as you and I may feel like it could be in terms of a microchip, but if a system was established today where your quote-unquote happiness was at risk, there are many that in the pursuit of happiness would willingly, would willingly allegiance themselves with the beast. Revelation 13, 15 through 17 speaks of the day of a moment where there's an infrastructure in place and it doesn't matter if you're big or small because it says both small and great rich and poor free and bond it doesn't matter your social class there's a warning that your happiness is going to be at risk and that no man might buy or sell save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name thus in this dystopia it's all about how you can feel how you can accomplish your dreams, how you can do this. It's never enough. You will never have enough when the source of your joy is the kingdom of this world i've seen congregations that have 50 people and the power of god is moving but they're always aiming for 100 150 200 250 by the time they have 300 400 people in the church the church is dry and there's no more anointing and i promise you once they get to 400 they're going to want 500 they're going to want 600 we need to repent and align our minds with joy that only comes from the lord because when your joy comes from the lord it is not able to be shifted or move, by the decisions of this world, by the effects of this world, by the famine that hits this world, by the judgment that hits this world, because your joy comes from a source outside of this world. This is why in Psalm 51, 12, it says, restore unto me the happiness of thy salvation. No, 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 no. The joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit you've enjoyed this brief little video today we're gonna pray together now but would you mind pressing the thumbs up and sharing this video as a non-monetized channel we're trying something a little bit different and we're going a different route to be able to spread the gospel and we could use your help by doing so thank you for doing that we have to change our mindset family in christ because the way that the devil will attack you Your ministry, your home, is by offering you, quote unquote, happiness. You know, I saw a brother in Christ and he was praising the Lord because there's nothing wrong with experiencing happiness in this world. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. What I am telling you is, is that you better make sure that your joy relies on the Lord because just like lust is lost in a relationship, People have lust for three or four months, and when that's gone, and you wake up, and both of y'all looking at each other with some eye crust in the bed when you wake up, and that halitosis, when that lust is gone, you better have something else. You better have something else. Same thing with our walk in this world. Once that happiness is gone, what do you have left? I know a brother who, he was trying to organize his finances, and he moved that and he moved in with some family members, which is nothing wrong with that to organize yourself. Sometimes you have to stay, take steps back to move forward. However, in the process, even though he had a vehicle that was working perfectly, he decided to make a decision that gave him instant gratification and happiness, yet set him back for many, many, many years. He decided to go and get himself a brand new minivan with his family. And this minivan, once you added up the payment, which was going to be like six, seven hundred dollars a month, and then the insurance payment on top of that for full cover, over three hundred dollars a month, while living at home with someone else because you're trying to save money, it put a financial burden on their family. That that instant gratification and happiness that lasted a month, once they saw that the payments of close to a thousand dollars a month they could have used that for rent and live in peace by themselves away from their homes that happiness where did it go what i'm sharing with you and we've all made these mistakes what i am sharing with you is is that this world will offer you its version of happiness david felt happy when he saw Bathsheba, but how long did that last but then you see daniel then you see daniel in chapter 6, verse 10, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being opened in his chamber towards Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. time. Because Daniel understood that his joy did not come from the earthly benefits, did not come from the earthly gratification. His protection did not come from earth. He understood that his joy came from the Lord. I want us to pray, and as we pray, I want you to understand that all of us will be tempted with this. I have been tempted with this, and God knows that in my 42 years of life, I have fallen for the happiness over the joy. This is why I come to you as your brother to warn you, but hear me out as we're gonna pray right now, right there in your homes. In Luke 15, 12 through 14, you know the story. The younger man said to his father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he left. You see, he took his journey into a faraway country. And he wasted everything he had on riotous living. He had instant gratification. This world will offer you that. Lust will offer you that. Pornography will offer you that. Turning your ministry into a business will offer you that. This is why I encourage everyone not to do so. This world will offer you instant gratification, but I promise you it's going to cost you so much. May we today, as that prodigal son, come home to the father and have him restore that joy of our salvation. Heavenly father, we want to thank you for your dear son, Jesus Christ. We want to thank you for your education. We want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you for always holding us up even though we're always making some mistakes that are just baffling to the mind. Yet this world and its instant gratification, this world and its instant manner of being able to provide for us what we want right there and then. Heavenly Father, we repent in the name of Jesus. Oh, Heavenly Father, you know me. You know all I've done in my youth and the ignorances of in my 20s going to rent a center. Instead of just waiting and buying some furniture cash later on, I would pay weekly rent-to-center fees or go to get payday loans in my 20s. I'm now 42. These are just mistakes that you make when you're younger. But just examples, Heavenly Father, of the dumb decisions that we make because we want to have that instant gratification. But if we were just to be patient, Heavenly Father, and in the name of Jesus, seek you in the morning, In the name of Jesus, seek you in the midday. In the name of Jesus, seek you at night. Man, that joy that comes from you lets us understand one thing. That in John 15, 19, you tell us that we're not of this world. That in John 16, you tell us that you have already overcome that we need to have good cheer, that we need to have peace, that we need to have joy, and that we need to understand that you have already overcome. That in John thirteen seven you tell us that we may not understand what is happening right now, but we will understand at a later date. Heavenly Father, we repent and we ask for you to educate us and prepare us for what is coming. Heavenly Father, you know that many of us are not prepared for what is going to go down at some point in time. Because of our affiliation with the things of this world, whether it be politics, whether it be the happiness and economic riches of this world, whatever it may be, convict us today in the name of Jesus. Amen.
0: All right,
1: so... Uh, what he's pointing out there, of course, is the illusion of the situations that we find ourselves in, the comforts of Babylon, so to speak, and how whenever the world has these troubling topics, you know, World War Three is on the headlines. Uh, if we've already dealt with our own deceptions and our self deceiving, because the greatest enemy we're going to fight is our own, you know, mental shortcomings. And uh, and you know this man that uh, we're constantly struggling with, who's you know tied to whatever your you know personal little you know little idol is, you know whether it's your addiction, whether it's uh, you know your distractions, that whatever the thing you use to check out uh, whenever you know there's important things to focus and work on, like our relationship with our the Almighty and with our relationship with our family. Uh, this illusion of this dystopian happiness system uh is what we're constantly fighting against and um and and it's it's really interesting how we become enslaved in this system and so i wanted to show a clip from a tv show that was canceled very quickly after exposing some of these uh uh illusions in the illuminati's dystopian happiness
9: scheme what is that the truth Every time a new baby is born, the Federal Reserve issues a secret birth certificate printed by a company called the American Bank. That way, the government can use people as currency to back the debt they have with the World Economic Forum, which owns the central banks of every nation on Earth. But the WEF is just a front for the council on foreign relations, which masterminded the 9-11 attacks as a pretext to invade Iraq, take the oil, and install fast food chains to make people slow, fat, and easily abductable by the shape-shifting reptilian aliens it worked with. Now, back in the 30s, FDR made a deal with these reptilians to exchange people for technology. That was the basis of the New Deal. But ever since, they've been slowly replacing all the world leaders to create a nuclear holocaust to make global warming real for their takeover. That's how they made up the Cold War, by sending Leica to space to bite Neil Armstrong while Kubrick was faking the moon landing. Now they're using satellite waves, contrails, and measles vaccines as mind control and fluoridating the water to keep people's gold fillings intact so they can be sent back to, you guessed it, the Federal Reserve, where all the gold and birth certificates are stored by the real puppet master, the world monarch, who is himself only the servant of the all-seeing eye who controls everything in the world.
5: I was wrong
0: i wonder why they canceled that
1: <laughs> yeah i wonder why now you could tell with how they narrated that that they were mixing some very far outlandish conspiracies with basic conspiracy fact well <laughs> so it,
0: it's a fact if it's not a conspiracy i mean most of the stuff that we talk about here on this show are facts people would say that they're conspiracies but yep we know the truth
1: it's, yeah i mean no wonder they got uh, shut oh, yeah. down but you know, you can see kind of the message we're getting at with all of these different topics, which is right now uh, World War III is on the headlines and we're seeing a lot of agendas being pushed and people being segmented into groups based on their perspective or how they fall on this side or that side. And, and I think being aware that no war happens unless uh, people make active choices towards evil right Mm -hmm. and sometimes to win a populace into supporting a a a financial military endeavor right uh you have to get them into the mindset that they're doing something righteous they're doing something that's good and so they don't mind funding the bill and so that's what i i think we saw with 9-11 with Uh, You know, the motivation for us to go to war in Iraq uh, and then also what we're seeing here. I mean, I think like we watched a video last week about how the amount of people signing up to join the Israeli military is above and beyond even Mm -hmm. just the active reservists. It's like people are going, hey, I want to sign up. I want to engage in this conflict because I feel we are right and justified. In doing this or that and and as we saw in the uh, colonel mcgregor uh clip uh the second video we showed he talks about how yes there seems to be justification for both sides to garner support and that's the whole point it's the divide and conquer so you know the people funding both sides of the conflict of course want both sides feeling they're justified so that the conflict can then evolve into something greater so that's enough with those topics. Uh, here's a, a, a little breakdown of how uh, Pfizer is admitting that their big V causes myocarditis after months of people saying, "Oh, there's no big deal. It's, it's for the betterment of your family and to trust in, in the Almighty uh, government, which we also call God, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, this is in relation to a recent story, uh, Ma- uh, Matthew Perry. Uh, the friends star dying uh, does anybody remember a few months ago right where uh, in 2021 uh, he goes I- could I be any more you know what <laughs> get your shot and then get your shirt stop the entire collection you know he's like merching, uh getting you know myocarditis basically yeah. so check out this
0: next video some news from the pharmaceutical world Pfizer announced on Friday the 13th that. The mRNA technology from the COVID-19 b- causes pericarditis and myocarditis. Myocarditis, if you don't know, is inflammation of the heart, which restricts blood flow. Very, very rare condition before the rollout of the b- Now, not so rare. On some totally unrelated news, in March 2022, Pfizer bought a company called Arena Pharmaceuticals for $6.7 billion, who are creating drugs to treat pericarditis and myocarditis wow did he say pericarditis wow.
1: yeah that's also a name for that uh heart issue and who's the guy who you just it. showed
0: matthew perry Huh? yep
1: matthew perry could it have been related to the you know experiment that the hokey poke you he said can i be any more you're right mm-hmm. well now he passes away uh likely from heart failure as he was sitting in a jacuzzi or whatever. And, um, I thought this was, uh, uh, hold on. I got to find it.
0: We should make sure to say, could I be any more un?" and then the word.
1: (laughs) Uh, so here is a (laughs) man. Those Simpsons, uh, (laughs) those Simpsons (laughs) clips are getting really, really eerie how accurate they are. (laughs) <laughs> it was a a, a clip of uh, the Simpsons fishing Matthew Perry out of a uh, the swimming pool. Now, I think this is a photoshopped image, but uh I wanted to share that because it's funny how uh it seems like all these world events uh that the Simpsons predicts uh sometimes uh you got to be aware that they are sometimes they are uh photoshopped. But anyways, uh I think it's just photoshopped, but mm-hmm. it was funny. Uh came across my feed there. That's funny. But, uh, okay. So now that we know that they're admitting, uh, myocarditis and perikitis from the MRNA technology, uh, these last two clips I wanted to show are less about news and more about my mind has been blown. Uh, so, uh, this next clip is, you know, we're fighting kind of a, a David versus Goliath battle, both with memes versus mega mainstream media and also in terms of you know government against the everyday man and so uh, here is a, a clip of somebody slingshotting and uh, I was like wow so if David like fighting Goliath was whipping this bad boy then no wonder he was able to take that giant down uh, so let's check out this clip
0: this is why slingshots were so feared back in the day I have one. Oh man
1: show it one more time that was crazy one more time
2: this is why slingshots listen, were so feared back in the day the
1: power of this
0: <laughs> wow it's like a bullet
1: yeah if you got hit in the face by that you better bet you better oh, I'd believe be dead. even if you're a giant you're gonna be dead <laughs> oh yeah oh man so i like to use that as an encouragement for us davids fighting this war against goliath you know whether it be you know your own personal david versus goliath battle with you know the trials in your life or if it be uh just using memes to try to discredit and expose the mainstream media's lies uh if if you're whipping that kind of whip you're taking that giant down you know with the help of the almighty you know so
0: when when uh, uh our first family trip when we went to israel uh me my mom my dad it was our first family trip we went there and one of the coolest things i got was a slingshot an authentic slingshot slingshot that they said david would have used uh, it was kind of like it was a weird material but i was like how does it even do that because it's like a it's kind of hard to explain maybe you can find a picture of it if you want to leave this in there but it, it's it's really interesting i'll have to send you one i have two of them but you like literally throw it and then one side goes out the other way and that's what's making the whipping sound and wow. you could take out two people with that
1: man yeah you could hear like far off at the top of the mountain the little
0: pow, you yep. know
1: as pow. it hit it's crazy
0: this is why slingshots were so feared back one more in the time day.
1: <laughs> that's great man all right so uh here's the last little cool video i found and tell me this doesn't look like going through hyperspace in a space movie like star wars or you know in star trek or whatever uh so check this next clip out
0: Drilling for ice?
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know how in Star Wars they go through hyperspace oh, yeah. and they zoom in and then a planet appears? Mm-hmm. What if it's all perspective, man? What if it's just we're going to the, the end of another bottomless hole?
0: You know? We're, like, or we're going <laughs> through know, the this, ocean, you know? Like we said. That's where the you have space probably
1: around you, which is the darkness of the tube. And then you have this round surface that is actually the flat bottom of the hole so here's a new perspective no, not flat earthers bottomless hole earthers and we're at the bottom of the bottomless hole
0: <laughs> bottomless hole earthers that might be a little too wordy to put on a t-shirt maybe we could shorten it <laughs> it'd be pretty good
1: yeah i mean could could the waters of the firmament just been you know what was poured down you know from the top of the hole <laughs> i don't know I I think it was just super cool. It it made me think of, uh, you know, space travel.
0: You know, I wonder how they did that in Star Wars, the, the scene where they did that. Because I know, like, it was, like, super OG uh, CGI effects. And I know that, you know, at the beginning when the words go, it was just, they were just cranking a like a... Oh, But wasn't yeah. it like a... Well, what do you call those things? Like a projector? Teleprompter. Yeah, something like that. So be interesting. That was pretty cool, man. All right. That's all the news for this week, man. All right, man. Thank you for another great current news as always. And now I, we are proud to announce that we have this very, very cool. I'll let the ad speak for itself and then we'll talk about it. So let's play that ad.
10: We're proud to announce the Rob Skiba legacy digital pack, where you'll receive a digital format version of all Rob Skiba's life's work, research, and much more as a bonus. You'll receive Jeremiah Skiba's book, Never Got to Say Goodbye, along with Sheila Skiba's best-selling expose, The Protocol That Kills. Find out what truly happened to Rob Skiba. Buy yours today. The link is in the bio or description of this video.
0: So his life's work on a little drive signed on the back. These were for some of his books we had left over. So get yourself a Rob Skiba legacy digital pack and it has I mean seriously is life's work my book my mom's book I mean we were gonna do an ad where we just stacked all the books just to show how many were actually on this thing but we couldn't fit it all on camera so so this thing is is several people have got gotten them and, and love them so far so check them out and then you know we'll leave the link in the description of this video so all right well I think it's about that time Run on the Opa's corner. Take it away, Opa.
3: My hut, der hat drei
11: ecken. Drei ecken hat mein Hut, Und hat er nicht drei ecken. Das ist der Zenist mein Hut.
3: Hey, howdy, hey, partners. It's time for another Opa's corner. So, let's get started. Morris, an 82-year-old man, went to the doctor to get a physical. A few days later, the doctor saw Morris walking down the street with a gorgeous young woman on his arm. A couple of days later, the doctor spoke to Morris and said, Hey, Morris, I saw you the other day. You seem to be doing great. Doing just what you said, Doc. Get a hot mama on. Be careful. I didn't say that, Boris. I said you've got a heart murmur and be careful. <laughs> <laughs> a duck, a skunk, and a deer went out to dinner at a restaurant one night. When it came time to pay. The skunk didn't have a cent, the deer didn't have a buck, so they put the meal on the duck's bill. (laughs) Two old guys from a senior center were sipping lemonade on the porch when one asked the other, Ralph, I'm 92 years old and even my aches have pains. You must be close to my age. How are you feeling? Oh, like a brand new baby. No kidding? Like a brand new baby? Yep. No teeth, no hair, and wet diapers. (laughs) Four men were discussing coincidences at a bar. The first man said, My wife was reading A Tale of Two Cities, and she gave birth to twins. Oh, that's funny, the second man remarked. My wife was reading The Three Musketeers, and she gave birth to triplets. My goodness, the third man chimed in. The same thing happened to me. My wife had quintuplets after reading The Five People You Meet in Heaven. The fourth man shouted, now looking quite ill. Oh, good God! I have to rush home! When asked what the problem was, he explained. When I left the house, my wife was reading Alibaba and the Forty Thieves! <laughs> oh, man. It was Sunday, and the preacher had just finished an inspiring church service when Rick, the wealthiest man in town, stood up and asked to address the congregation. The preacher wasn't surprised at this. Just make it quick, Rick. Sure, Father. He cleared his throat and addressed the audience. I can still recall the day when I earned my first dollar. That same evening, I attended a church meeting where the speaker talked about his humanitarian efforts. At that moment, I had only a single dollar to my name, and I had to make a tough decision, to give it to the speaker's cause or to keep it for myself. I chose to donate it all, and I truly believe that God blessed that decision which is why I'm a millionaire today." An old woman in the audience stood up. Oh yeah? I dare you do that again! <laughs> An elderly woman visited a grocery store and requested 15 pounds of potatoes. The owner was delighted to help and started packing the potatoes. However, The woman stopped him and requested that each potato be wrapped individually. The man complied and asked if there was anything else he could help with. The woman then requested eight pounds of onions to be wrapped in a similar manner. The shop owner packed the onions and asked if there was anything else. The woman requested 15 pounds of carrots. Let me guess. You want them wrapped individually. Oh, that would be grand. The shop owner fulfilled her request and packed all her items in a bag. The woman then asked, what are in those crates behind you? Uh, Madame, those are grapes and they're not for sale. A college student wrote a letter home. Dear Folks, I feel miserable because I have to keep writing for money. I feel ashamed and unhappy. I have to ask for another hundred, but every cell in my body rebels. I beg on bented knee that you forgive me. Your son, Marvin. P.S. I felt so terrible I ran after the mailman who picked this up at the box at the corner. I wanted to take this letter and burn it. I prayed to God that I could get it back, but I was too late. A few days later, he received a letter from his father. Dear son, good news. Your prayers were answered. Your letter never came. An elderly gentleman had serious hearing problems for a number of years. He went to the doctor, and the doctor was able to have him fitted for a set of hearing aids that allowed him to hear 100%. A month later, he went back to the doctor, and the doctor said, Your hearing is perfect. Your family must be really pleased that you can hear again. Oh, I haven't told my family yet. I just sit around and listen to their conversations. And you know what? What? I changed my will three times. (laughs) And now for the funnies. Do you mind if I strap your phone to my forehead so I can pretend you're looking at me when I talk? (laughs) (laughs) Uh... There aren't any side effects, but you might feel sluggish. (laughs) Spirit Halloween. Blood Drive. Donate today! (laughs) It's okay, sweetie. Everyone webs the bed at one time or another. (laughs) I told that boy no snacks before dinner. And just look at this. Three musketeer wrappers, everywhere! <laughs> oh,
0: I get it. Three musketeer.
3: <laughs> I acted like I hadn't been fed, and I got a second breakfast. <laughs> oh, but those are your dogs. <laughs> Fire extinguisher. Yes, sir. We caught him trying to smuggle us in under his coat. <laughs> Last of the Mohicans. Little Beaver. Red Eagle. Where is everyone? Okay. Joke's over. <laughs> How? How? Well, I'm not sure. I guess it's been washed. <laughs> it's the only way to go, Frank. Why, my life has changed ever since I discovered stackable livestock. <laughs> Cat, box Scooper. I'd be offended if it wasn't so true. (laughs) Well, we've done everything we can. Now we can only wait and see if she pulls through. If she doesn't, however, I got dibs on this porterhouse right here. They put me with the plainclothes unit. (laughs) Eddie, I told you a hundred times never to run with that through the house. (laughs) Salt. That's dark. (laughs) Suddenly, Bobby felt very alone in the world. Sorry, extinct, extinct, extinct. (laughs) Spare armadillo, ma'am? Spare armadillo? Uh oh. How can I get by this guy? Oh, what a cute little Siamese. Is he friendly? (laughs) I'll take the Hansel Hash, and my friend here will take the Griddle Goulash. Do you have a card that says, Congratulations for destroying your brand new squeaky toy in under a minute? It's in our notable achievements section. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, at first, when they said they were getting me a regular dog walker, I got all excited. What to do today? What to do? (laughs) You have reached the Institute for Psychic Research. To speak to one of our researchers, press or think one.
0: (laughs) It's like James Randi.
3: My flight was so bumpy, my FitBit counted it as steps. (laughs) Ancestry.com. 40% cotton, 33% rayon, 17% silk, 10% polyester. Just like me, they long to be close to you. Rainy days and Mondays always get me down. We've only just begun. Crap, we got carpenter ants.
0: (laughs) Get it? The carpenters? (laughs) I love the carpenters.
3: In case of fire, take stairs. (laughs) Ooh, 1994 was a good
0: year. (laughs) Say her, I was
3: born. For the time being, The monster wasn't in Ricky's closet, for the time being. (laughs) Tempers flare when Professors Carlson and Lazell, working independently, ironically set their time machines to identical coordinates. Now I've seen it all, and that concludes another Opa's Corner.
6: My hood, der hat drei Ecken,
11: drei Ecken hat mein Hoot, und hat er nicht drei Ecken, That is ist es nicht mein Hoot.
3: Opa's Corner is now available on my own YouTube channel. Like, share, and subscribe.
0: Thank you, Opa, for another great Opus Corner. And even got a couple la- laughs out of Jake. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. Well, it's time for a word from our friend, JJ. Are you tired of living in constant pain? Do you feel like you've tried every CBD product on the market with no relief? Look no further than JJ's Natural CBD Rub. When I was diagnosed with degenerative disc disease, this was the only product that completely took my pain away. Working with JJ has been a dream come true, and his products have completely changed my life. Don't just take my word for it. Visit JJ's website, jjcbdrub.com, and read hundreds of testimonials from people whose lives have been changed by all of JJ's amazing products. And now, as a Skiba News Nation exclusive, you can get $50 off a three-pack special of JJ's Natural CBD Rub by texting CBD to 920-382-7720. Don't suffer in silence any longer. Take control of your pain today with JJ's Natural CBD Rub. Again, text CBD to 920 920- 382 for an exclusive discount and start feeling the relief you deserve. The links are in the description below. You won't regret it if you get some JJ CBD rub, I mean that stuff really works, so thank you JJ. Alright, it's time for some history. So first I wanna say uh, thank you to Ms. Daniels for the book and all the cool stuff that I have here on my desk. Uh, I I really appreciate it and this one's a fascinating read because I'm doing my history on JFK right here. So I call this history part one of three, uh, why JFK was assassinated and why it had to happen. So most people know, there was something sketchy about the JFK assassination, that Lee Harvey Oswald was a patsy, but nobody talks about who was really behind it then, and uh, and why it had to happen. Why did it have to happen? So that's what we're going to be talking about today, and so let's
10: play a little preview for this first clip. was, you'd have to admit, a pretty extraordinary sequence of events. A lone gunman murders the president of the United States, and then, less than 48 hours later, that lone gunman is himself murdered by another lone gunman. What are the odds of that? Congress found that, yeah, it was a plot. It was a conspiracy. There were multiple people involved.
4: And brought home the first phone call that my father made after J. Edgar Hoover told him that his brother had been shot was to the CIA desk officer in Langley, who was only a mile from our house, and my father said to him, did your people do this? My father was posing the same question to him. Was it our people wow. who did this to my brother? So it was my father's first instinct that the wow. agency had killed his brother.
10: Well, today we decided to find out. We spoke to someone who had access to these still-hidden CIA documents, a person who was deeply familiar with what they contained. We asked this person directly, did the CIA have a hand in the murder of John F. Kennedy, an American president? And here's the reply we received verbatim. Quote, the answer is yes. I believe they were involved. It's a whole different country from what we thought it was. It's all fake. It's hard to imagine a more jarring response than that. Again, this is not a quote, conspiracy theorist that we spoke to, not even close. This is someone with direct knowledge of the information that once again is being withheld from the American public. And the answer we received was unequivocal. Yes, the CIA was involved in the assassination of the president. Now, some people will not be surprised to hear that. They suspected it all along. But no matter how you feel about it or what you thought about the Kennedy assassination, pause to consider what this means. It means that within the U.S. government there are forces wholly beyond democratic control. These forces are more powerful than the elected officials that supposedly oversee them. These forces can affect election outcomes. They can even hide their complicity in the murder of an American president. In other words, they can do pretty much anything they want. They constitute a government within a government, mocking by their very existence, the idea of democracy.
11: By now, most people believe that the CIA probably has something to do with the assassination of JFK. In fact, if the CIA came out today and just admitted it, none of us would be surprised. But throughout all of this, no one has ever been able to answer this simple question. Why? What did JFK do that was so terrible, so threatening to the powers that be, that it would push the CIA to assassinate its own presidents? Well, as it turns out, there were many, many things that JFK did that went completely and utterly against the military-industrial complex. And in this three-part series, we're going to expose the three pivotal moments in JFK's presidency that sealed his fate, so that by the end, you're going to know exactly what it takes to kill a president. This series is based on the incredible book, JFK and the Unspeakable by James W. Douglas, and our story starts with Eisenhower, when he gave this infamous speech at his farewell address right before a young, starry-eyed John F. Kennedy takes office. In the councils of government, We must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted
3: influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic processes.
11: But since Eisenhower was the old president leaving office and there was this new exciting president coming in, no one paid attention to Eisenhower's prophetic speech, but for John F. Kennedy, he would soon realize exactly what Eisenhower meant
0: now you guys know how obsessed i am with the jfk assassination and you know i'm sure you guys are too because the patreons voted for this history segment but you know i opa has often said when i was a kid that that you know maybe the cia has something to do with it maybe the secret service has something to do with it and now with all these new jfk files coming out it seems to be yeah they had a pretty big hand in it i mean the CIA would never lie to us, would they? Of course they would. So uh <coughs> let's play the next clip and dive a little deeper into what I call why the CIA did it. Mm.
11: JFK is perhaps best known as a young, reckless playboy. He grew up in a rich family, he had affairs in the White House. So what on earth could have been so threatening about this playboy kid that would have justified assassinating him? Well, as it turns out, this is only half of the story. See beneath this playboy facade, JFK was the exact type of person the powers that be feared the most. JFK had a very difficult childhood. he saw death approach repeatedly from scarlet fever when he was two and three years old from a succession of childhood and teen illnesses from a chronic blood condition in boarding school from osteoporosis and crippling back problems intensified by war injuries that plagued him the rest of his life from the adrenal insufficiency of addison's disease to family and friends jack kennedy always seemed to be sick and dying end quotes but that's not all most people also forget that jfk was a world war ii veteran and he didn't just work some easy job like a cook or mechanic by the way he was a full-blown war hero He was a boat commander in the South Pacific, and one night a Japanese destroyer rammed into their small boat destroying it, leaving JFK and his crew stranded in the water. Over the next few days, JFK would repeatedly put his own life at risk to save his teammates. He swam to a nearby island while pulling along one of his injured teammates using his literal bare teeth, and then he swam back out to sea to try to signal to friendly boats, where he ended up drifting aimlessly for hours teetering on the verge of death, until they were eventually saved. That was the reality of JFK's life. As his brother Robert Kennedy put it, At least one half of the days that he spent
10: on this earth were days of intense physical pain.
11: And it was because of all of this intense physical pain, it was because he had seen firsthand the horrors of war that JFK was not afraid of death anymore. He was prepared to do everything in his power to fight for peace, even if it meant sacrificing his life. Quote, by smiling at his own death, he was free to resist others' deaths. And so, fast forward to January 20th, 1961, and JFK was inaugurated as the president of the U.S.
12: We observe today, not a victory of party, but a celebration of freedom, symbolizing an end as well as a beginning, signifying renewal as well as change.
11: And in the eyes of the most powerful military economic coalition in history, this young, ambitious new president that wasn't afraid of death posed a threat. Because there's nothing more threatening to systematic evil than someone willing to fight against it regardless of the consequences. And here for the first time was a president who couldn't be manipulated by threats or intimidation. He couldn't be backed into a corner by his own generals and advisors. And soon the powers that be would realize just that.
0: I feel kind of the same way about JFK uh, because he didn't fear death. He was on the constant pursuit of truth and peace and JFK was a war hero. so. Let's learn a little bit more about who Kennedy was as a person in this next clip.
11: To win the presidency, JFK actually campaigned on military expansion, As a World War II veteran, he bought into the military industrial narrative that America needed to build up as much arms as possible so it could deter the Soviet Union. But once he stepped into the Oval Office, he realized something terrifying. While the US government made it seem like nuclear war was the last thing anyone wanted, JFK quickly discovered that behind closed doors, the guys in charge were a lot more trigger happy. Remember, this was a time when most people viewed the Soviets as satanic devils that needed to be stopped at all costs. And in the eyes of the powers that be at the time, anything short of absolute aggression towards the Soviets was thought of as treasonous. And shockingly, JFK's top military generals actually believed that America could win an all-out nuclear war. And they didn't just believe that America could win, they actively wanted to go to war with the Soviet Union just so they could win and prove it. And they didn't care how many people had to die in the process. In one general's own words, quote, at the end of the war, if there are two Americans and one Russian left standing, we win, end quotes. While another general said that he wanted to publicly attack the Soviet Union from, quote, hell to breakfast, end quotes. JFK was horrified by this realization. He thought his number one job as president would be to ensure that a nuclear war never happened. And yet everyone around him was vying for war. Just 10 days into his presidency, JFK found out that almost any military commander could start a nuclear war on their own initiative. They didn't need to get the president's approval, they didn't even need to run it up the chain of command. If they believed that there was enough Soviet military action, like an attack or even just possible reports of an attack, they could trigger nuclear armageddon in the blink of an eye. It was madness, and it only got worse when JFK was briefed on their game plan for if nuclear war did break out. In the military's plan, 170 atomic and hydrogen bombs would be dropped on the city of Moscow alone. Every major Soviet, Chinese, or Eastern European city would get nuked, causing hundreds of millions of deaths. To a president who wanted peace more than anything else, this was unacceptable. Never had he imagined the US military would be so willing to allow the murder of hundreds of millions of people, including Americans, just to win a war. After he was briefed on this war plan, he famously turned to one of his officials and asked,
12: And we call ourselves the human race?
11: JFK started to see just how little power the president actually had. After billions of dollars in funding and years of handing over executive power to American generals, the military had just become too strong and influential. So strong that by the time JFK stepped into office, the military industrial complex already had big plans for him.
0: And we call ourselves the human race? That's a pretty powerful question. Uh, once Kennedy became president he realized they didn't need his approval to do anything they just went ahead and did it so I mean the president's supposed to have power so I guess they can just you know he was the first president trying to drain the swamp that's how I see it and uh, they tried everything they could you know eventually we'll get there to shut him up so let's play this next clip
11: In 1959, Fidel Castro had become the president of Cuba, which meant that Cuba had just fallen under communism. Sitting just 90 miles off the coast of Florida, Cuba was now the perfect base for the Soviet Union to launch a surprise attack from. So by the time JFK became president just two years later, the CIA was neck deep trying to get rid of Castro, and nothing was off the table. The CIA had tried to assassinate Castro hundreds of times. They put poison in his cigars, paid Cuban gangsters to try to kill him, and even tried to hide explosives in a seashell in an area where he liked to dive. And with every failed attempt, the CIA just got more and more desperate. And that's where JFK came in. The CIA needed to convince the new president to authorize military action against Cuba. Because in their eyes, every day that passes where they don't strike first is another day that America could get annihilated from Cuba. But that was easier said than done. You see, the CIA knew that the president would never authorize anything as drastic as an invasion or an open attack by the US military. It went directly against his plans for peace and de-escalation. But that didn't mean the CIA couldn't force his hand. If they could launch a US-based attack on Cuba, even if it didn't involve Americans directly, JFK would have no choice but to support it and send in reinforcements, lest the attack failed. Yes, if the CIA could get JFK to agree to an attack led by Cubans but backed by America, and that attack went horribly wrong, he would be forced to send in US troops. As one of the youngest presidents in history, there was no way he was going to risk such a public failure like that just a few months into his presidency. Just imagine the news cowardly inexperienced kennedy drops the ball against soviets it would never happen jfk would be forced to play along and so the CIA put their plan into motion before jfk was inaugurated he had been briefed on a plan by the CIA to train cuban exiles to invade cuba to take back their homeland and right from the start jfk made it clear that the cuban exiles would have zero u.s military support during their invasion they would be doing it all on their own Little did he know that the CIA knew this invasion would fail, and that the CIA was betting on him to send in troops anyways once the invasion did fail to save face. And so on April 17, 1961, less than three months into JFK's presidency, 1,400 Cuban exiles touched down on the beaches of Cuba with the intention of taking back Cuba from Castro. And as expected, over the next 24 hours, they proceeded to get decimated by the Cuban military. They were being attacked from all sides and desperately needed air support. And that's where JFK came in. With more than a 1,000 Cubans at risk of being killed, and America on the verge of a major strategic failure, the CIA called on the President to ask for help. Mr. President, if you don't authorize military support, thousands of people will die, and America would look like a fool. We'd be the laughingstock of the world. Too scared and cowardly to defend ourselves on an island less than 100 miles away? Is that the kind of picture of America you want to paint for our enemies? JFK was backed into a corner, but the CIA had underestimated him, because JFK did not budge a single inch. When he said he didn't want any Americans getting involved, he meant it. And so, with no U.S. military support, within two days, more than 1,100 exiles had been killed or captured. It was a complete and utter failure. Only after the invasion failed that JFK realized that he had been drawn into a CIA trap. The CIA and U.S. military quote,
12: "...couldn't believe that a new president like me wouldn't panic and try to save his own face."
11: JFK told one of his aides,
12: "...well, they had me figured all wrong."
11: It was in that moment that JFK fully realized just what kind of a beast he was up against. Quote, in effect, President Kennedy was a target of a CIA covert operation that collapsed when the invasion collapsed, end quotes. And that JFK, quote, bitterly disappointed the CIA and the military by his decision to accept defeat at the Bay of Pigs rather than escalate the battle, end quotes. The military industrial complex was pissed, but so was JFK. A
0: man and a president who wanted peace. So the CIA went behind Kennedy's back and tried to assassinate Fidel Castro and then they do the bay of pigs and make it look like it's all jfk's fault i mean i think i'm understanding that correct what do you think Opa?
3: oh yeah that's uh, exactly way it was they were trying to set him up
0: yep and uh once he failed he knew he had been set up by the cia for sure so let's go ahead and dive a little deeper and check out this next clip <laughs>
11: When the CIA first came to JFK with the idea of the Bay of Pigs invasion, it was obvious he was hesitant. He had only been president for a few months, and he inherited the plan from Eisenhower. It felt too soon, too rushed, too drastic. Eventually, JFK went ahead with it under the strict conditions that no Americans be involved. But as it turns out, even if JFK had said no to the whole Bay of Pigs operation right then and there, the CIA already had plans to bypass his decision and do it anyways. Take a listen. Quote, when the four anti-casual brigade leaders told their story to writer Haynes Johnson, they reviewed how the agency was prepared to circumvent a presidential veto. The Cuban's chief CIA military advisor, whom they only knew as Frank, told them what to do if he secretly informed them that the entire project had been blocked by the administration. Quote, if this happens, you come here and make some kind of show, as if you were putting us, the advisors, in prison, and you go ahead with the program as we have talked about it, and we will give you the whole plan even if we are your prisoners, end quote. So basically, the head CIA guy in charge of the Cuban exiles told the exiles that if JFK said no to this operation, that they were to stage a revolt, pretend to put the CIA guys in prison, and then go on with the invasion of Cuba as planned. When Robert Kennedy, JFK's brother, heard about this plan, he called it quote, Virtually treason.
10: Virtually treason. Virtually treason. Virtually treason. Virtually treason.
11: When all the dust settled it marked a turning point for JFK's time as presidents. JFK realized that he could never negotiate, reason, or even trust the CIA. Not when they were willing to lie, trap, or even bypass him without a second thoughts. Quote, the Bay of Pigs awakened President Kennedy to internal forces he feared he might never control, end quotes. JFK realized that if he wanted a chance at peace, he would have to wage a different kind of war against the very people in his own government. As the dust settled, JFK turned to one of his highest officials in his administration and said that he wanted
12: to Splinter the CIA in a thousand pieces and scatter it to the winds.
11: And he meant it. While the Bay of Pigs was still going on, JFK told his presidential advisor, Mr. Arthur Schlesinger Jr., that, quote,
12: It's a hell of a way to learn things, but I have learned one thing from this business. That is that we will have to deal with CIA. No one has dealt with CIA.
11: And so from that point on, JFK started splintering the CIA. And he first started by going after the mastermind behind the whole Bay of Pigs fiasco, the infamous CIA director, Mr. Alan Dulles. Now, does that name
0: sound familiar? Alan Dulles we'll get to that so JFK knew that he could no longer trust the CIA and they they definitely weren't on his side he went to war with the CIA and that Alan Dulles guy you'll come to see we know a lot about we've talked about him before so let's go ahead and play that clip
11: JFK started splintering the CIA by asking the masterminds behind the Bay of Pigs invasion to resign, which just so happened to be the three highest-ranking officers in the CIA, Director Allen Dulles, Deputy Director Richard Bissell Jr., and Deputy Director General Charles Cabell. After firing the three most powerful men in the CIA, JFK then started cutting the CIA's budget, hoping to reach a 20% reduction by 1966. And from then on, instead of relying on the CIA for advice on foreign policy, he made the military Joint Chiefs of Staff his main advisors. Because he foolishly believed that the military would be easier to control than the CIA. The CIA has spent the last few decades operating with impunity. And now this young, naive president thought that he was going to ring them in? Nonsense. No one was more salty about this than the CIA director that he fired, Mr. Alan Dulles. Alan Dulles was the most notorious CIA director in history. He was the guy that brought down Mohammed Mosaddegh in Iran. He brought down Salvatore Allende in Chile. And he ran the insane MK Ultra mind control projects that illegally experimented on thousands of Americans in the 50s. All these accolades that Mr. Dulles had built up was all being stripped away from him by little John F. Kennedy. So if it wasn't clear then, it was clear as day now. The CIA's number one enemy was no longer some foreign communist, it was no longer some foreign terrorist. No, the CIA's number one enemy was now the commander in chief, President John F. Kennedy. After Kennedy's assassination, Alan Dulles would ironically be appointed to the Warren Commission, the commission that was in charge of investigating JFK's death. So in effect, Alan Dulles was helping lead an investigation into himself. And guess what conclusion he came to in that investigation? Years later, when Alan Dulles was old and retired, he had a ghostwriter come over to his mansion to collaborate on a piece, defending the CIA's role in the Bay of Pigs invasion. Quote, in one discussion they had about President Kennedy, Dulles stunned the ghostwriter with an abrupt comment. That little Kennedy, Dulles said, he thought he was a god. He thought he was
0: a god. So that's a conflict of interest, I would say. He was on the uh, the same team that, that looked into his death, the Warren Commission. And JFK was completely trying to destroy the power of the CIA. kind of sounds like what, what you know Trump is trying to do. I mean, it's what it sounds like to me. Um, and Alan Dulles is the guy that started MKUltra. Isn't that interesting? The same guy who he went to war with. So the CIA's main enemy was no longer another country. It was the president, JFK. So let's play this last clip, which I call a dire prediction. So let's play it.
11: even though JFK managed to cut down some of the CIA's power, he quickly realized that the CIA wasn't the only problem. Even though the CIA had been the one to plan the Bay of Pigs invasion, it was the US military chiefs who signed off on it, and it was them who pushed JFK to let the US military intervene. So if it was both the CIA and the military that were at odds with him, JFK had a much bigger problem on his hands than he expected. It was the summer of 1962, a year after the Bay of Pigs invasion ended in disaster. One of JFK's friends asked him what he thought of a best-selling novel at the time about a fictional military takeover in the United States. JFK read the entire book that night. The very next day, he discussed the possibility of such a military coup in America to his friends.
12: It's possible, he said. It could happen in this country, but the conditions would have to be just right. If, for example, the country had a young president and he had a Bay of Pigs, there would be a certain uneasiness. Maybe the military would do a little criticizing behind his back but this would be written off as the usual military dissatisfaction with civilian control. Then if there were another Bay of Pigs, the reaction of the country would be, is he too young and inexperienced? The military would almost feel that it was their patriotic obligation to stand ready to preserve the integrity of the nation and only God knows just what segment of democracy they would be defending if they overthrew the elected establishment."
11: Pausing for a moment, he went on.
12: Then, if there were a third bay of pigs, it could happen, but it won't happen on my watch.
11: JFK had just had his first bay of pigs, but little did he know that his second one was just around the corner.
12: And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country.
0: So subscribe for part two, and it's a three-part JFK little series. Uh, but I thought it was very important to know the backstory of why JFK was assassinated and why the CIA hated him so much. And uh, yeah, what what are your thoughts, Jake?
1: Yeah, I think it just it really does show the level of deception in the government. I mean, and and that's even talk of nowadays, like mm-hmm. what happened with uh, Twitter and the kind of the CIA strong arming or you know the intelligence committee's strong arming uh twitter people to censor important medical information and by big pharma so it's 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 just it's really interesting to me just how uh the evolution of this uh uh, like kind of militarized arm of the government is and Mm -hmm. uh it just tells me you know people got to be aware that it's, it, there's more than meets the eye with these organizations. And, and it just makes conspiracy uh, all the more of a conspiracy. You know, the CIA is the ones that coined the term conspiracy years ago, and now it discredits people that have, you know, the truth. It, it's crazy to think about how how much uh, they were allowed to operate back then with JFK, and, and it just puts into perspective what they're probably doing in today's world you know
0: well i think they use jfk as an example to all the other presidents that hey if you mess with us <laughs> this is what's going to happen to you and you know yeah. it's very much mob mentality it is the mob
1: in our own government what if that's the first thing they do when a president's sworn in is they take him into the oval office they wheel in this big the zipper film like 19 1990s you know tube tv and they show them jfk getting shot in the head they're like welcome to the office. This is how it works.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, Don't mess with me. We won't mess with you, you know? Yeah. I mean, because of my theories in the, in the storm drain, it it makes more sense for somebody who's trained to make that shot for wherever it came from. I mean, they had to be CIA trained or trained by some kind of federal agency of some kind. If not ours, it's probably ours. If not ours, you know, somebody else's, but, uh, you know i'm trying to be very careful so i'm not on any lists but i probably already am so what yeah. the heck <laughs> opa what do you do you have any thoughts
3: no i think uh everything's covered pretty well there
0: all right well you guys at home let me know what you think down in the in the comment section below and uh it's all i got for history so i hope you guys enjoyed you got some memes for me jake i do looking forward to it mean me up i know you're
3: A little younger than I am. I've adopted the attitude of the great Negro, Negro leagues went on to become Negro, Negro.
0: Me, me up.
1: Oh man. Old Joe Biden.
0: Oh man. (laughs)
1: True international we, would have, pressure. we would have unlimited intros if we just continued cycling through all the different gaps.
0: Yeah, there's a new one every day.
1: <laughs> uh, I thought this uh, was an interesting picture. Uh, subjects that should be mandatory in school. Uh, taxes, coding, cooking, insurance, basic home repair, self-defense, survival skills, social etiquette. Personal finance, public speaking, car maintenance, and stress management. The, the whole world would operate on a different level if uh, mm-hmm. if these were the basics that people were taught. But I think the reason these things aren't taught in the public school system or the government-backed school system is because, if you think about it, those are the things that parents are supposed to teach their children. I was just but about parents, to say that. parents, unfortunately, have offloaded their responsibilities teaching those core essential things to a sp- state-sponsored schooling system. And and that's why we have so many issues is because, you know, there's some balls that are getting dropped somewhere along the way. Yep. And uh, I just wanted to – I thought that was interesting breakdown. Uh, here's a picture of the first Karen, 1923. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Uh, uh, Dorothy. <laughs> Dorothy's <laughs> Karen experience. Uh, say what you will about the South, but no one retires and moves up North. (laughs) I don't know. There might be some exceptions to the rule, but, uh, it's generally, you know, South, uh, South migrating old birds. Uh, when you have a single social, uh, when you have a single successful social interaction, I'm a normal person. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, If you see a large mound of dirt in a field, don't disturb it. Wait for the Dollar General to hatch. Oh man! All right. Uh, R.I.P. Matthew Perry uh, and uh, the Simpsons' eerie ability to predict uh, world events. (laughs) I know this is just a Photoshop one, but I thought it was uh, pretty funny how uh, Simpsons tends to do that sometimes. uh, this spot is reserved for good old boys that know how to smoke a brisket <laughs> <laughs> that is Be- what it looks a beer like. belly yeah. yeah uh what do you hate the most facts well you're hired fact checkers <laughs> <laughs> yeah employment process for twitter's fact checking team uh Jesus listening to ten dudes pray to marry the same girl from the singles ministry uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right uh half man half goat mythology half man half monkey science uh there is some biblical uh precedence for uh satyrs in the bible actually uh the man that abraham bought the cave of Machpelah from uh, was uh, described in, in the you know the term that describes his people is fawn-like. Uh, so, could there have been uh, you know Mister Tumnus's running around the Holy Land? I don't know. Huh. All right, uh, don't homeschool your kids; they'll be weird. Nineteen ninety-five, kids in public school identifying as barn animals. Twenty twenty-three.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's really the school's fault or the teacher's fault.
1: Yeah, it's the curriculums that are passed down by the people who have an agenda.
0: Or the TikTok.
1: Or the TikTok generation, yeah. Oh, man. When you say perhaps instead of maybe. (laughs) Perhaps. Perhaps, perhaps. Uh, In the grocery store, it has a section for health food. Then what is the rest of the store, (laughs) right? If the grocery store has a section for health food, what is the rest of it? Uh, me getting ready to make the same bad choice but also being a little bit more prepared from last time it backfired <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah that's great man have you heard about the rats of new york where they'll send like older rats will send younger rats to eat poison or to spring traps and they'll sit back and then once they know that you know the danger's gone they'll come in and
0: so the mob up. runs that deep It goes all the way to the rats? Uh, Yeah, all the way to the rats. (laughs) One more reason I do not want to go to New York ever in my life, and I'm sorry if you're from New York, I'll never go. (laughs) Unless I can stay in Trump uh, Tower.
1: Yeah, unless you can stay in Trump Tower, huh? (laughs) Yeah. All right, uh, that moment when you find the perfect avocado at the supermarket. (laughs) Watch out. uh, I saw Apeel has recently been sliding some of their uh toxically hazardous uh bill gates avocados in with the other like organic avocados so check your labels if it's got a peel on it it means bill gates was behind it me yawning everyone who saw me yawning uh... <laughs> that's funny uh moses commands israelites to gather double portion of chick-fil-a on saturday since they can't gather any on sunday uh says no bible ever right Mm -hmm. Uh, and and i've come to look at the modern chick-fil-a sunday uh kind of set apart day as almost like uh like now that you now that i've come to understand the significance of the saturday sabbath and how it's throughout the scriptures as a sign, a seal, a mark looking at Chick-fil-A who actually forces like, cause I have a sister that works for Chick-fil-A forces people to walk, work on Saturday. Uh, but then they keep the Sunday as their day of rest. It, it's like, to me, it's like, yeah, they have delicious chicken. And yes, my, one of my daughters is probably half Chick-fil-A cause that's all my wife craved when she was pregnant. <laughs> but I will say there has to be some type of, uh, you know chink in the hypocrisy of chick-fil-a um, but uh you know it, it's you know look at the scriptures and the real sabbath day uh was the seventh day and it consists until the millennial reign uh and so chick-fil-a is just an extension and in, in, in a lot of ways of the doctrines and and uh, opinions of the catholic church that have done away with obedience to the commandments of the almighty so yep. uh went down the rabbit hole. Sorry. <laughs> uh, Oh look, the McRib is back. Stop calling me that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, we're conditioning our kids to believe that our phones are more important than they are. Uh, I thought it was hilarious that Opa and his Opa's corner had the one. It was like, if I duct tape your phone to your head, will you look at me when we're talking Like <laughs> to my head? You know? Uh, so it was a good connection. Uh, Oops, I left my phone Somebody coming back from the dead <laughs> uh, Shows our addiction, right? Yeah. To the grave So uh, Opa sent me this picture It's a 5 megabyte hard drive Being shipped by IBM in 1956 mm. 5 megabytes, right? That's that's crazy Nothing. That's like the size of a high resolution picture Right? Uh, well, check this out uh, it's the same picture uh, superimposed over top of a one terabyte micro SD card that was became available in 2020. So, oh, Opal, I wanted to get your uh, opinion and, and thoughts on just the variation in size of memory.
3: It, it's uh, it's incredible. When I uh, was down at the University of Texas at Austin and I worked at the com- uh, the computer center, and we got uh, a drum uh, that was huge. It was uh, like, uh, I don't know, 20 foot long. And it was anchored into like, I don't know, two, three foot of of concrete. And it spun at uh, some incredible number of RPM. And that huge thing was only 20 megabytes.
1: Wow. Wow. I mean, what so what were they using those computers for if the memory capability was so small? Was it literally just using it for calculator functions or like what what was the the benefit of having something with that little memory at that time?
3: Everything was stored on tape. Don't you remember all of the Mission Impossible yeah. scenes with all of the tape drives and everything? Well, that's where all the data was stored. Wow.
1: That's and, so so amazing to see, and, you know, and, how...
3: And IBM actually had created another device that used strips of magnetic tape that kind of were suspended. They were like a, a paper clip, well, I don't say paper clip, but they were attached to uh, a drum or, or attached to a carousel and a little... kind of like a robotic arm would pick one of the strips up and then feed it through a uh, like a a tape reader. And that's that was their off-storage tape unit.
1: Wow. Wow. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's just mind-boggling. Maybe in the next, you know, 40 years we'll see a a one gigaterabyte micro SD card where you can store all of your lives' memories, you know, from the, you know, Borg input from your head, you know,
0: <laughs> <It's> AI.
1: <laughs> all right. Thank you for sharing that open. That was really interesting. Uh, here's a mash, you know, that show famous for the cross-dressing soldier. Uh, it is owned by Fox and Fox was bought out by Disney. Well, clinger is now a Disney princess. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> Okay. So uh here's uh my desire, but here's my budget. <laughs> <laughs> Here, Toto, sit on top of my car while I drive around town. <laughs> I don't know I don't get I mean it's a Jaguar. I guess it's just fancy that a car
0: cat? hood ornament. Jaguar is a cat, I thought. Am I wrong? Yeah.
1: Yep, no, you're right. Oh. Hey. Uh here's a guy who doesn't care about that though. He's uh, riding his motorcycle upside down. <laughs>
0: That's the proper way to write it, actually.
1: (laughs) Imagine the heads that would turn looking at that. That's funny. (laughs) All right, and final meme of the week. Uh, Here's a just a good warning: no fishing or diving from this bridge.
0: Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I would say so.
1: Oh man! All right, so thank you for everybody who submitted. Thank you, Oprah, for sending over some memes, and uh, that's all for this week, Jeremiah.
0: Alright man, thanks for another great current news and memes as always, Opa thank you for another great Opus Corner, I hope you guys enjoyed today's history segment, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. Never quit fighting, let no man deceive you, thank you for standing alongside us as we fight for justice, and continue our quest for truth. Subscribe, and stay tuned. If you would like to submit a story, topic, or have any other inquiries, Please email submit at skibanewsnation.com. Also, you can email Jeremiah Skiba personally at jeremiah at skibanewsnation.com. Also, email Jake personally at jake at skebanewsnation.com. If you want to write us a letter, send us something, help support us, or just say hi, please send your letter to Jeremiah Skiba, P.O. Box 560 271, The Colony, Texas 75056. If you write us a letter, I'll do my best to write you back. Hey, Skeba News Nation family, thank you for watching. Please like, share, subscribe, and click that notification bell so you never miss an episode of Skiba News Nation. If you want to help support us, please consider becoming a Patreon, where you will get exclusive content, shout outs, and much more. And you can also support our channel by getting yourself some new Skiba News Nation merch. Thank you for coming on this journey with us as we continue to stay on the quest for truth. Huge shout out to all our Patreon supporters. Thank you so much for your support. We couldn't do this show without you. If you want to help support us, go to patreon.com forward slash Nation. Also, you can listen to Skiba News Nation podcast on your favorite podcast platform.